The Start On Demand. On demand. Mackling and McGarry got flu shots live in studio today and learned it is just that easy. Global News Morning has launched a series that will last for a few weeks where they go neighborhood to neighborhood to talk about crime and to talk about what you are seeing in your backyard. The series starts with Malika Kareem in St. James. We'll preview the St. Boniface Radiothon with a patient who's been going to the hospital for years to access their mental health services as she suffers from bipolar affective disorder and borderline personality disorder. And is it rude that I don't want to hold your baby? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who is off sick again today, hopefully back tomorrow. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Wednesday, October 30th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, who is once again out sick today. So McNabb, get well. And before we do anything else, I want to address something that has us frustrated on an almost daily basis. And it's not just us. I know that this affects... (laughs) Our friends down the hall at Power 97, it affects our friends down the hall at Peggy at 99.1. Our printers in this building take a nap between 11 o'clock at night and I guess 4 in the morning, and they just seem to die in new ways every day. And today, I come in, the printer's working. Every time I, I hit print and you hear it fire up, it's kind of this sigh of relief. Oh my God, it's going to work this morning. And then it stopped working, and it says... Waste toner bottle is full. Please call service. So I actually sent out a tweet at Brett McGarry on this, if you want to follow me on the tweeters, saying that uh, I hate this printer and I'm ready to serve it some office space justice. Well, I'm surprised it hasn't ended up in the parking lot. But I'm I'm certain I know why it hasn't. The glass is too thick. <laughs> it just bounced off the glass. Yeah. Pro- well, I don't know. I don't know because I think we got like six layers of bulletproof glass here in every window. Yeah. So, and we don't have any windows in the newsroom. So, you know, by the time we went to the effort of getting it to a window, yeah. we just look at each other and go, I'm too tired to throw this thing out. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I suspect that there are people in offices everywhere who have a love hate relationship with their. With their printer or their document center, as yeah. it may be known, depending on where you work. Uh, so uh, hopefully you can relate to that. Well, and it's funny how still, uh, how, like what year was Office Space released? That was the early boy, 2000s. Boy. Hang on, I'm just going to goggle that. I think now. I remember seeing it as part of a... 1999! Yeah, I was going to say, I think I remember seeing it as part of a double feature at the Odeon Drive-In before wow. it closed, I'm pretty sure. Nice. and But that scene is such a classic scene because we've all hated the printer at work, and you would love to take it out into the middle of a field and destroy it with a baseball bat set to some gangster rap music. I believe it was the Ghetto Boys. Uh, probably can't play that song on the radio for sure. But, uh, yeah, I would just love to destroy that printer. Hate it so much. And then we come into the studio. Hang on. Can we hear it? It's kind of faint. right? Or is it gone right now? Oh, it's a little bit there. We have a speaker in our studio that yeah, sits. It's, it's bad. It's directly above Greg's head. It's about five feet above Greg's head. And uh, it's all static this morning. So looks like it might be one of those days. But hopefully not for you. We're here to get you through your Wednesday. We're getting our flu shots today. 
I just found this out this morning. That's exciting. I hope you uh, wore a short sleeve shirt underneath that lovely cardigan you're wearing today. Thank you. You look very, I think my Grammy would have said, you look very smart today. I look smart today. Yes. Yes. Thank you. I've never, uh, I've never worn a cardigan. I went to to Moore's uh, last week and... Paul took care of me over at Moore's, just uh, we're at Madison Square, and I bought a bunch of stuff, and I tried on this. I looked at this cardigan and thought, oh, it's just simple kind of monochromatic uh, gray and black, like a charcoal and black. I like it a lot. So I figured I'd try it out. But yeah, there's a t-shirt underneath here, so. Well, it's good. Yeah, well, Your I've... arm is very uh, accessible then. When I was younger and thinner, Jackie and I used to call H&M the danger store because whenever we found an H&M on our travels before it came to Winnipeg, yep. it was easy to go in there and spend a a ton of money mm-hmm. on a bunch of stuff. Moore's is now my danger store. It's, yep. uh, yeah, they've got so many nice things and they've changed up their offerings over the years that, yeah, I could do a ton of damage anytime I go in there. So I need to be very strategic about when I go in there. And when I know you're going, yeah, I always warn you, be careful. Yeah. Well, and then I had to go back yesterday and buy a new sport coat because I'm hosting that uh, John Cleese yes. show. Uh, last chance to see me before I die next week at the Centennial Concert Hall. And uh, I needed a new jacket, so I had to go back and buy some stuff. So, uh, yeah, Morris has gotten a lot, of my, a lot of my cash over the last little bit. And you can't beat that with a baseball bat. And McGarry. Where you is is where it's at. And you can't beat that with a bat. The knaps off sick today. This has to do with our previous conversation about taking a bat to the printer. We would love to do that. But there's probably people using bats to do other assorted things in various neighborhoods throughout Winnipeg. Because it doesn't matter where you live, crime is hitting every Winnipeg neighborhood. Starting today and over the next few weeks, Global News Morning is launching a series that will go from neighborhood to neighborhood to find out what you're seeing. This morning, Global's Malika Kareem has placed the spotlight on St. James. I got a couple of kids in St. James. Uh, One was broken into, and one is so far so good. St. James resident Ray Godfried has lived in the neighborhood for 53 years. He hasn't been targeted by thieves, but he knows others who have. With property crimes on the rise and more suspicious people casing the neighborhood at night, frustration felt by local business owners and residents. We've had three incidents in the last two years of people being in my yard either looking for something or going through it and trespassing. There would have been a time where people would have stepped outside of their business and beat the living hell out of whoever had done the done whatever wrong that, that had happened to them. Now, you can't do anything. Safety, the major concern, as the meth crisis and more violent attacks sweep across the city. Alan Castell set up cameras outside of his home along with an alarm system to notify him if people trespass. There's a sense of apprehension. I don't think that it's fear because it's not reached the point that I'm having to worry about people that are trying to get into my house, but I have had and I do have footage of people checking my doors. So that's a little bit scary. The St. James Biz says they've heard business owners' concerns and are now introducing a new community safety grant. We put some money into our budget this year specifically to help businesses as they're considering increasing cameras or adding cameras for the first time or lighting in the back lane, anything like that um, that would help have an impact on safety or reporting, then they can apply to the biz to access that grant and we will help offset the costs. 
Business owners can apply for the grant and help offset the cost of extra security measures as property crime in the neighborhood continues to climb. Malika Kareem. Global News. Now you heard from several people in St. James in that package. Ray Gottfried, St. James resident. Alan Castell, St. James resident. Jennifer Matheson, Executive Director of the St. James Village Biz. And David Rudge, CEO and President of Half Pints Brewing Co., who gave another example of how his business was targeted by thieves. Three times in the first year, uh, metal recyclers and metal scavengers stole the head of our bike pump off of our bike pump that we put in. A brand new bike pump, right? Uh, we put in a, the bike repair station with all the tools hanging off of it, you know, and people stole the, clipped the tools off of it. Well, Try and do something nice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right? it was a nice little, it was a nice little bike station, right, for people who want to just ride their bike over instead of drive over. Terrific community amenity, and uh, the, even that can't be respected anymore. There used to be. At least it's seen some sort of honor amongst thieves on some fronts, and that that honor seems to be absolutely disappearing at a at a rapid rate. Yeah, so we'll have more with Malika Kareem at seven forty five. She's going to join us live on six eighty CJOB as she heads through St. James to talk about crime. And if you are in St. James and you want to talk about crime, feel free to shoot us a text at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb is away today. Jeff Braun is here. Kelly Moore is here. Jeff Fortier. On our Facebook page, 680CJOB Facebook page, you have the chance to win tickets for the Simon and Garfunkel story, March 11th, Burton Cummings Theatre. You can beat the box office. If you weigh in on the question that we're putting there, is it rude to not want to hold someone's baby? And this is a dilemma that I was facing yesterday because I went to visit some friends, recently had a baby, he's three weeks old, Jacob is his name. I stopped at Superstore on the way out to buy them some diapers because I figured, hey, what more practical a gift can you bring than diapers? And then, uh, but I feared that they might want me to hold the baby because the last time I went to visit a baby, they just handed him to me, said, here you go. And I had to sit there for, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 minutes until the parents were okay. I said, have I put in my time? So I didn't want to do that. So I asked, is it rude? So I want to know, is it rude that I don't want to hold your baby? What do you think, Jeff Braun? I think if you don't want to hold my baby, I don't want you to hold my baby. So I got no problem with that at all. Um, But I can see how you are going to get, people are going to think you're a Scrooge or something like that or the Grinch or something else holiday related that's mean (laughs) (laughs) because it's just one of those weird things in society. It's like when for those years where I told people didn't like dogs, they just dump on me about that as though everyone has to like dogs. This is like shunned. Yeah. It's like tough beans, you know, different people like and don't like different stuff. Get over it. What do you think, Kelly? Don't 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 let them foist their baby on you. Brett. Foist. Sneak <laughs> <laughs> some curb your enthusiasm. Stick it, stick him in the Seinfeld family because that's the classic Seinfeld thing you referenced earlier, Greg. And how does that go again? You have to see the baby. <laughs> don't even need the clip. That's great. Yeah, I, I, it, it's everybody's uh, uh, personal opinion that that counts here. I know. Just last week, one of our coworkers uh, brought in their brand new baby, and and one of our colleagues has a cold and politely declined to hold the baby uh, because, you know, he didn't want the baby catching whatever he had. So, you know, there's a different uh, rationale there, but I don't think it makes you a bad person if you don't want to hold a, a little baby. Personally, I, I love it, but uh, yeah. Th- that's, yeah, but that's just me. That doesn't make it right or the same for everybody.
Yeah. That's a big mistake to let me hold the baby because you're not getting it back. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm keeping the baby now. There you go. And yeah. nobody you're else is going to get it. a chance. Well, I'm not taking it away and I'm not taking it home with me. No, just hogging the But uh, I, will yeah, the hog, time. I yeah. will hog the baby. I'm with Brett on this one. Actually, when people uh, like, hand me their baby, like when they see me hold the baby, they're like, you know what? Give me it back. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just awkward. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's two reasons for me. One is I am genuinely concerned I'm going to drop the baby because I'm clumsy and I am super awkward with babies. I don't have any experience. Like I never had a younger sibling. I was, I'm, I have a twin sibling, so I didn't grow up with a younger brother or sister. Uh, so I never, I've always just been super awkward, but two, uh, and I'm kind of like Trev here who texted us at two Oh four, seven, eight, zero 68, I just don't like babies. Trev says, I am not a baby person. I loved holding my two babies, but I've never enjoyed holding other babies. I explained that to my siblings so they wouldn't be offended when I didn't want to hold their babies, but I'll play with their toddlers all day long, probably because we have the same interests. <laughs> awesome. I love it. Now, Tre- Trev clearly has gone a little bit further than me. He actually has his own babies. I don't just, I don't want babies at all. Just keep them away. I, I'd rather just pet uh, your cat. Well, that's what Brenda says here. I couldn't care less about holding babies except mine. I'd rather hold a puppy or a kitten. Not sure why. And I don't feel bad about it at all. I dropped my baby sister when I was a kid. And I still don't regret it. <laughs> really? Was yeah. it on purpose? Oh, yeah. Oh, geez. What do you mean? Like, yes. Just, I was like, three and she was, you know, brand new. And yeah. I was just like, no, don't need this in the house. I dropped. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I can't believe what that. What a wonderful brother. <laughs> I dropped I dropped Brendan uh, once when I was feeding him, and it ties into both the things we've been speaking about mm-hmm. and conversing about uh, this first hour because I fell asleep. Oh, God. Because the boys were on the – we had to get, wake them up every three hours. They had to feed. And so because there was two babies, we were constantly awake, constantly feeding kids, and I fell asleep holding Brendan, and down he went onto the floor. And I'd been carrying this guilt around with me for about eight, nine years. And then two summers ago, we're at the cottage, at my uh, sister-in-law's cottage, and uh, Jackie has a couple of glasses of wine, and she says, I have a confession to make. I'm like, oh boy, this is going to uh, be good. <laughs> wine is the serum of truth. I dropped one of the babies too, and I don't even know which one. <laughs> <laughs> she must have had three glasses of wine that night. Oh, that are, so are, are Brendan's grades a little bit lower than uh, <laughs> his brothers? No, they're, they're pretty close, actually. <laughs> well, let us know what you think. Is it rude that I don't want to hold your baby? Uh, and it's partly because, like I said, because I'm clumsy, and also partly because I just don't. Just care for babies. If you, you bring have a, a you, lot of friends out here, Brett. It looks that way. In the yeah. text world. I, wow. I, I thought it would be seen are, as a monster. No, I think I think you are uh, opening people's people's hearts in a strange way this morning. Well, go to our Facebook page, 680CJOB Facebook page, and weigh in there for your chance to win tickets for the Simon and Garfunkel story. And make sure you follow us on Instagram. We've also put it up as a poll in our Instagram. You can vote for. Yes, it's rude, you barbarian. Or no, just pet the cat instead. Barbarian, you use that word? Yes, <laughs> you barbarian. Ah, uh, Brett. Mackling and McGarry McNabb is away today, hopefully not with the flu, Greg. We know she was suffering from some cold symptoms, and uh, 
Because just the timing is weird. We're about to get something done to us. Yeah, we're going to get the flu shot. And it feels as though kids are already home from school. I think everybody's got a co-worker that spent some time off if you live in or work in a large enough office. And uh, Dr. Brent Relson is here to uh, help us with this. Uh, good morning, uh, Dr. Rusin. How are, how are things? How are we doing on the flu front? Are we in full-fledged flu season yet? Oh, good morning. Thanks for having me. So uh, we're only seeing uh, sporadic cases of flu so far this year, so uh, certainly not into uh, flu season as of yet, but we know that uh, it will be uh, upon us soon. I think a lot of people think the flu involves your stomach, right? That, that, you, that you have to be vomiting and, and have other things happening that are uncomfortable in order to have the flu. Maybe just give us a, an idea of what the symptoms are for a, for a typical flu. Right, so influenza is, is a respiratory virus, so uh, fevers, aches, headaches, uh, uh, weakness, and, and cough and respiratory symptoms are the most common. Uh, certainly in young kids, sometimes they will have uh, some of the GI symptoms, but it's predominantly a respiratory illness. How is it different from a cold? Uh-huh. Well, with a, with a cold, you typically don't get the, uh, the, the fever and aches and the general malaise, um, and certainly uh, the colds typically don't have the same uh, complications. So cold is just like annoying, and a flu is kind of that full body, I just, I, I feel awful. That's correct. So every year we see uh, influenza cause uh, 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 a lot of burden in the, in the healthcare system, uh, from ICU admissions to even deaths. So that not only is it a, a real drain on on the healthcare system, it's a real drain on the economy. It's a drain on on your personal life because either you lose personal time or your kids get it, and then you know daycare situations being what they are these days. There's a real there's a real cascading uh, effect when someone gets sick in the house. Exactly, and that's uh, why we really encouraging all Manitobans six months and older to uh, get the flu shot uh, because it's the best way to protect yourselves and the people around you uh, from the flu and its complications. A lot of pe- oh, sorry, Brett, but there's a lot of people who say that uh, the flu shot, A, doesn't work for them, or B, I get sick when I get the flu shot. You want to address that? So the flu shot is uh, very safe. The effectiveness does uh, 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 change every year depending on the the strains that we get in the vaccine and the strain that ends up being here. Uh, But it is an inactivated virus, so you cannot get the flu by getting the flu shot. Well, Macklin, you ready to get your shot? Yes, I'm going to take my uh, headphones off here. and Oh, I guess I'm just going to sit here, am I? All right, that's fine. Right in my working arm, so to speak. Hey, where's the swab? No swab anymore? That's right. So how'd that feel? When are you going to do it? It's all done. You did it already. Come on. Seriously? (laughs) I didn't even feel that. I didn't even feel that. Honest to goodness. That was quick. That was quick. That was absolutely painless. Okay. So Macklin got his shot. And I guess now it's my turn. So you want to mosey on over here, Doc? So this is Dr. Brent Rusin. Hang on. I'm, I'm taking a video now for the Instagram as well and the Facebook. This is Dr. Brent Rusin, Chief Provincial Public Health Officer. And he's given me a flu shot. Just a little poke into the shoulder. There we go. We had to go right to the top of the org chart to get our influenza shots ourselves here. That was very quick. <laughs> that was nothing. That was nothing. I thought that this would be a big procedure, and that took 30 seconds combined. Yeah, and I, I think maybe that's part of the point of why we're doing this this morning is to exhibit how easy it is. And then, so you, you say there's no chance of me getting sick from this, but are there any potential side effects that I might 
incur over the next several hours here, Brent? Some people might get a uh, mild sore uh, sore arm, uh, localized uh, swelling. Um, very rarely are there um, allergies related to uh, to the shot, but uh, for the most part, it is very safe and, and effective. Who should not be getting the flu shot? Is there anybody that should not be getting this no matter what? That would only be uh, someone who's... Uh, uh, had a, a, a severe allergic reaction in the past. Uh, anyone who suspects that should discuss that with their uh, uh, family physician or, or healthcare practitioner before receiving it again. If one of us has a reaction to this, uh, are we going to be incapacitated and can't won't be able to finish the show? Uh, no, the, I wouldn't expect that at all. Okay. Oh, darn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were, we were kind of hoping that we could get a free pass to get out of here. Get a free pass. Uh, now, what about the, who, sh- who really should be considering this, and, and who is it most important to, to get to the front of the line, so to speak? Right, so, uh, so certainly um, uh, six months uh, of age and older, we encourage everyone, but it's particularly important to uh, uh, children from uh, six months to five years and uh, um, those older than 65 years old and those living with chronic uh, health conditions, respiratory, heart disease, diabetes, cancer, things like this, uh, pregnant women uh, as well. Um, and then to uh, keep in mind the people around those people too, uh, because it's, uh, like I said, it's the best way to protect yourself, but also the people around you. And it's easy to get these, right? Like you can get a flu shot in so many spots now. That's right. Your uh, healthcare practitioners, uh, pharmacists can provide it. Uh, you, uh, public health also can provide. So if you go to the government website and look up uh, flu clinics, there'll be a listing of where, uh, where you can go. Okay. Well, Dr. Brent Rusin is the Chief Provincial Public Health Officer visiting us this morning to share with you just how easy and indeed how painless it was. Uh, Greg didn't even know he'd been poked. Honest to goodness, I was waiting for it to happen. I wasn't watching because I'm not a fan of the needles, but this was this a piece of cake. Is that what keeps some people away? The needle, the fear of the needle? There are uh, some people who have that uh, that fear. Others have uh, um, don't quite uh, understand the effectiveness and the benefits of the flu vaccine. That's why we're trying to get that message out. Yeah, and I think for me, uh, and I haven't not done it like out of protest or anything. I just always forget, and I always figured, oh, I don't have time for that. That took, honestly, 15 seconds. So that was nothing. So there's no excuse uh, moving forward. So thank you for the demonstration and for reminding me how easy it is and how important it is to get the flu shot. Well, that's great. Thanks so much for having me here. This whole hour has ended up kind of being a healthcare theme. I think you're right. And on November 15th, we want you to circle that day on your calendar. We've got it circled here at 680 CJOB as we're thrilled to once again present the St. Boniface Hospital Foundation Radiothon with stories of hope and healing. We will broadcast live from St. Boniface Hospital's Everett Atrium, along with our friends from Peggy 99.1 and Power 97. That'll go from 9 a.m. till 6 p.m. on November 15th and proceeds raised during the Radiothon of Hope and Healing help St. Boniface Hospital Foundation raise vital funds supporting patient care, specialized equipment, and world-class research at St. Boniface Hospital. Now, one of the initiatives well underway at the St. Boniface Hospital Foundation is a campaign to raise $1.6 million to renovate and improve the McEwen building on campus at St. Boniface Hospital. Our next guest has watched the public's understanding of mental illness change over the years along 
with her own. She was diagnosed more than 30 years ago with bipolar affective disorder and later borderline personality disorder. Dawn Behrens joins us in studio this morning. Good morning, Dawn. Great to meet you in person. Good morning. I've been reading about you in uh, the Believe magazine. Oh, yeah. And it's terrific to finally meet you in person. Tell us why you decided to, to share your story and to share it so freely and openly. I was uh, diagnosed at 27. It was hell going in. I was very psychotic and uh, I couldn't even speak when I got in. Um, nobody understood that. And uh, But when I was a teenager, I went through all the symptoms of uh, mental illness. When I was younger, I went through all the symptoms of mental illness. But being one of eight children, we didn't pay any attention to it. And then older, I was with my boyfriend and we hid the symptoms. We thought that suicide and mania was normal. And I want to say that it is not normal and you need a doctor and you need pills to keep you stabilized. Yeah, and that works for so many people. And do you think we're improving the lack or breaking down the stigma around mental health and the idea that it's okay to not be okay? Oh, yes, definitely. I know that um, uh, in my church, for example, I I openly discuss it with all the other people. I come in and they say, how are you? And I don't have to say I'm okay or good morning every morning. I can say I had a rough night. And they understand what that means. Goes a long way, doesn't it, when you don't have to hide what you're going through? Yeah, hiding was um, a terrible thing. And when you're depressed, especially, I always pretend I am happy all the time and I smile. But uh, it's nothing to smile about. It's exhausting, actually, is what it is to pretend, right? Bipolar affective disorder and borderline personality disorder. Can you tell us a little bit about, first, bipolar affective disorder and how it affects you? The bipolar affective disorder for me is bipolar type 1, which is different than type 2. Type 1, you have more manias than you have depressions. And people think that that is um, better, but it's not better. It's still hell. It's just different symptoms. And you, I only get depressed twice a year if I get depressed at all and mania because I'm on medications three times a day and they're keeping me stable for years and years. And if I do have a problem, I go to my doctor at the McCune building and I get medications changed and it makes all the difference in the world. What happens if you endure mania? When I, when I get mania, I go through all the symptoms of uh, mania, which are spending too much, um, hypersexuality. Um, oh, there's, there's just so many different symptoms. I can't go through them all in this radio show. But um, I, uh, and just, I don't do have Do you feel like you're out down. of control? You're, you feel out of control. Uh, you can't control yourself. You... You do things that you wouldn't normally do. You talk loud. You swear a lot. And people that know me say that I have wide eyes and that I look different when I'm manic. Um, I catch it or friends notify me. They think you're getting manic. And I phone my doctor and we have an understanding now. And he will actually give me a prescription over the phone 
and say, come in two weeks after the prescriptions had time to take effect mm-hmm. and we see you getting better. You know, it's incredible that you're, you're sharing this and describing it so vividly and eloquently, Dawn. And just this idea that you're comfortable sharing the story. You're my hero. It's, it's incredible. So thank you for doing this. But the idea that you are someone who is so forward thinking and monitoring this, yet there are still times that this gets out of control and it takes over. So you can imagine what it's like for people who are not on top of it, who have not yet been diagnosed or stop taking their medication. There's a whole variety of reasons why people see this get out of control, right? Yeah, I've gone through all those stages myself where I didn't think I needed the medication anymore because I was feeling Because you were feeling great. And then you go back into the hospital and then you get back out of the hospital and then you're feeling great again and then you get back off the medications. It took me a long time to learn that that's the medications was what was keeping me out of the hospital. It it took I worked 20 years at mood disorders as a volunteer and I helped other people to learn about the illness. Now, you mentioned the McEwen building, and before we let you go here, I want to talk about it really quickly because we're trying to raise $1.6 million to get that place upgraded. Um, For a building that's supposed to help people with their depression and sadness and the dark parts of their mind, I know they don't mind me saying this. I've received treatment there, but it's a depressing place to be. It, it is very depressing. I have a friend that I went and visited the other day, and when I finished visiting her, I went up and visited my psychiatric doctor and nurse, and um, it is just sad. They're all squished in there together. There aren't very many activities for them to do uh, except to go out and smoke, and some of them have to be supervised to do that, mm-hmm. and um, it's just not... Um, a friendly place. It's not a place that makes you feel happy. And I think when when you're trying to uh, get things right in your life as, as it involves your, your state of mind and your, and your mental well-building, that deserves a beautiful place. And, and that's why we're exactly. talking, part of the reason we're talking about this today. We need a better McCune building. We need it fixed up. We need it so that people will, will when they come, they'll get their better, they'll get better quicker. And, and I mean, the washrooms are always dirty, the, and they can't keep up with them. And we need staff, and we need people who can help give uh, activities again. They, they cut out the activities. So it's really important stuff, Brett. November 15th, we are thrilled to once again present the St. Boniface Radiothon of Hope and Healing. We will broadcast live from the hospital's Everett Atrium, along with our friends from Peggy at 99.1 and Power 97 from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Before we let you go, we understand you mentioned you're a part of the church, the Westminster United Church Choir. That must be a tremendous honor. Any chance you would care to uh, Yes, I have been 29 years singing in the Westminster United Choir, and I have now joined the Messiah Choir, that is singing at 523 Knowles, and they'll be singing at Christmas the Messiah twice on the 20th and 21st. Want to give us like 30 seconds of uh, of something? Oh, I can't do it. We're just starting rehearsals. Oh. (laughs) And I, I, I would... I would kill you. <laughs> not the Messiah. Not I can't sing the Messiah without music and without everything, but I can sing you a Christmas carol 
quickly. What do you think, Greg? Let's do it. Okay, hang on okay. one second here. I'm just going to crack open my phone so I can grab a video of this. And uh, away you go. Dashing through the snow in one horse open sleigh, o'er the fields we go, laughing all the way. <laughs> Bells on bobtails ring, making spirits high. What fun it is to laugh and sing a sleighing song tonight. Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells, <laughs> you know all the rest. <laughs> Dawn Virens is her name, telling us her story of why the St. Boniface Radiothon of Hope and Healing is so important. So we invite you to join us on November 15th so you can help people like Don who use the McEwen building at St. Boniface Hospital. Don, thank you very much for stopping by and thanks for the song. We appreciate it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Don. I want to revisit a couple of conversations we've been having in recent days, liquor and the perimeter. We got a text message, Greg, at 204-780-6868 with an interesting suggestion for the perimeter. Yeah, it just uh, started like this. Have you guys ever had a discussion about the perimeter becoming a tollway and there being no level crossing or lights on it? And of course, uh, no level crossings and the, and the interchange is something we've been advocating for for an awfully long time here. But the idea of a toll is something that we've not thrown out because we see these surveys all the time, Brett. We want better health care, but we don't want to pay for it. We want to fight climate change. But but I'm not prepared to pay for the changes that are required. And our listener says, Band-Aid solutions, they're coming up with are safer, but, and that's some of the changes that have been made uh, last summer that are coming over the next uh, 12 to 18 months or so, but they're definitely uh, screwing up the traffic flow. And with all the spending cuts, how is the government going to afford to spend hundreds of millions on overpasses? At least we could get money from tourists and truckers passing through. I drive the South Perimeter every day and I would have no problem paying a toll. I also have a small business and have no problem paying a toll on my three vehicles on the perimeter every day because the time efficiency would be worth the cost. Well, but wouldn't that take away from your time? Like, I seem to remember going, it's been a long time since I've gotten, gone through toll a toll booth. Booths, toll but... booths are a, are, are a thing of the past. Okay. They have a technology uh, for you to either set up something in advance where you, it just goes on your hydro bill or your water bill. They take a picture of your license plate, boom, and that's it. We were oh, on a okay. tollway in California in August, and I'm like, where are we going to pay for this? And then there's a sign saying, don't worry, we'll just send a photo. And a, and he even says, if you're renting a car, it'll be sent to the rent rental car company, and it just gets paid automatically. So I won't have to worry about Toll Booth Willie coming out of the booth? <laughs> no. You're going to die. <clears throat> I'm coming out of the booth. <laughs> <laughs> That's an Adam Sandler uh, impression of... Adam Sandler's impression of Toll Booth Willie. Yeah, classic sketch from classic his, sketch. Uh, his comedy album. Okay. So what do you think about that? The idea, you know, maybe a buck a trip or or maybe even a couple of bucks. I know that Chief Peg was trail. There were lots of people in my neighborhood who were against the construction of it once upon a time, but there's no way, there's no way for any amount of money they'd give it back. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And I use that. Four times a day, I'd have no problem paying 50 cents, a dollar every single time I used it in order for it to be kept up to impeccable standards and for it to be extended 
uh, either to Main Street or Route 90, as they're discussing, and either the other way east and have it connected uh, up to uh, Plessy. I'd be, I would be willing to at least entertain the idea. My fear is that if they put make the perimeter a tollway, does Bishop Grandin become a tollway? Does Chief Pegwis become a tollway? Where does it stop? And mm, will they use the money responsibly? That's where I lose faith in our elected officials in terms of what are they going to do with that money. Well, in BC, they built the Coquihalla Freeway or Highway uh, to shorten the trip from the Okanagan and from the Trans-Canada into the Fraser Valley to Vancouver. That was built in time for Expo 86, and they... They said that we would only collect the tolls for as such time as we paid for the project. And the toll booths, they disappeared about five years ago okay. on the Coquihalla. So that's something that could be negotiated, put into legislation. I'm not against it. Let's put it that way. Very quickly, we just want to look at a headline here from CJOB.com. Should Manitoba liquor stores stock booze in the back? And this is an interesting thought. John Graham with the Retail Council of Canada says moving to that consumer's distributing model that so many have referenced is not the answer because he says if you limit it to a behind-the-counter experience, then local beverages will be lost. Sure. Because everybody will just walk in with their standard stuff. The browsing experience goes away because that's one of the cool things about walking into a liquor mart is seeing all of the different local beers and liquors that are now available that you might not have had any idea versus that were ju- there. Versus it just being on a list or a menu of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. And this was the model in the, in the like up until the mid-70s. Yep. It was uh, very kind of eerie. I, uh, our good friend uh, Soch on Twitter posted a picture of this uh, on Twitter and it's like, what is that? And he goes, that's the way you used to go and buy your booze once upon a time. I'm like, that's just weird. It looked like a bank. Yeah. Right? And there was a list, and, and you would sit there, and consumers distributing, for those that don't remember, you would, uh, there would, would have a station with a bunch of catalogs, and then you would get a slip of paper, and you would write out the item number that you wanted, then you'd wait in line, you'd give them the slip of paper, they'd bring you the item, you'd inspect it, and if you decided you wanted to buy it, you could buy it, or you could go, thanks, but no thanks. Question of the day at cjob.com brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. And the question that went up yesterday afternoon, what are you giving out for Halloween this year? 44% say treat-sized candy. 10% say full-sized candy, so full-sized chocolate bars. 7% say non-food items. And then 39% say, are you kidding? I turned my lights off. Uh, I turn off my lights on Halloween. So you can cast your vote at cjob.com. We'll get a new question up soon. And Hal Anderson joins us now live in studio with something. I can't believe that this is even being discussed, Hal. Ben? Candy? Well, for a a couple of reasons. You know, candy, as we know, in excess is not good for us. I I don't don't think we should ban it, but I, I get the people that say... You know, although those were the houses I never went to, by the way, <laughs> that would give me a toothbrush or a back in the day a penny or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, apparently, and you mentioned the treat size candies. That's part of the argument to ban these candies because Why? Of, well, because apparently they cannot be recycled. And some people are saying it's time to, like, for example, in North America, over 600 million pounds of Halloween candy will be purchased this year for close to $3 billion. Wow. And those little wrappers, the treat size uh, candies, cannot be recycled. That's one of the arguments uh, for banning Halloween candy. 
Well, well let's get rid of have... all chocolate bars then. Well, this is it. You know, I mean, as you know, Greg and Brett, the pendulum always swings way too far, <laughs> and then it comes back and swings way too far the other way. So anyway, I thought that was uh, kind of, and it's bad, and it, in excess, it, too much of it, you know, is it's bad for us. Well, and, let's ban Christmas too because well, you can't exactly. recycle well, wrapping paper. Right. Well, yeah, the Christmas yeah. wrapping is, uh, you, you can't even put it in your fireplace yeah. because it's toxic. Oh, good. So there you go. So mm-hmm. it's even worse than that. Yeah. But what did, they're not talking about? They might sell $2 billion worth of candy for trick-or-treaters, but right. we know $1.3 billion of it for us. never makes it to the front door. And there was a story <laughs> earlier this week or late last week that basically uh, said the exact same thing. It said that people, when they buy Halloween candy, they buy too much, so they make sure they've got some for themselves. And then the other, and we're going to have actually on the show today a Google Trends expert. We're going to talk to a Google Trends expert about Halloween stuff, including the number one costume in Manitoba. Did you hear this on my show yesterday? Number one costume Googled in Manitoba, the fairy godmother. What? Yes, and it beats out Pennywise. Pennywise across the country, number one. Number two in Manitoba, beaten out by the fairy godmother. And we started asking, why would this be? And somebody said that it's because the fairy godmother is a great costume when you want to put warm clothing on underneath. And apparently that yes. may be why it was number one in Manitoba. But we'll talk to the Google Trends <laughs> expert today about that. And I also got to say a, a new survey. We'll chat about this on, on my show after one o'clock as well. Uh, how old is too old to trick or treat? This comes up every year. Sure. The number one answer at 14% is 13. 13. I've told my boys this is their last year. And they're they're 13, they're right? They're 13, yeah. yes. Yeah, you know, this I, is the end of the line. Jeff Curry had a great point. If you got a cigarette in your mouth yeah. and a beer in your hand, yep, you're too it. old to trick or you're treat. You're too old. Yeah. <laughs> Smoke <laughs> hanging out of your mouth, you don't get a treat at my house. That's the line for you? <laughs> yeah. 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 I, That's the line for me. Well, and maybe you dealt with this too, Hal, and you, Greg, because we're all tall here. Like, I had people telling me when I was eight years old, aren't you too old? Well, because you're tall, right? Yeah, yeah. They just assumed I was a teenager. And then, and then that mentality shifted to me when I would start handing out candy when taller yeah. kids would come, and I always feel bad. And I heard Somebody make a point uh, saying, look, if a teenager shows up at the door, they could be doing other things that are not yep. so good. If you're so in a costume, a I agree. Absolutely. And I I'm agree. On if you're in a costume, I, you're in the Halloween spirit, so to speak, yep. and you get a treat. You don't I need agree. to show me your ID if yes. you're in a costume. That is your ID. Yeah, I'm right. participating in yeah. Halloween, and, and if your friends aren't making fun yeah. of you for getting dressed up when you're 15 or 16... Oh, more power to you. Like you say, there's lots of worse things that you could be up to. And can I just quickly say back to your conversation earlier about holding a baby? I love kids, but I just, I would rather, I'll look at your baby. I'll, you know, but I have no desire to hold your baby. It's just, I don't know. And I think you're finding out there's a lot of people out there like that. eh? Big time. Tons of text messages from people saying, yeah, listen, I don't want to hold your baby. We also, by the way, have a chance to win tickets for the Simon and Garfunkel story at the Burton Cummings Theater March 11th. On our Facebook page, you just have to go there and answer the question. Like Lil says, for a long time, holding babies was really tough emotionally. My friends were having kids and we were unable to conceive. Mm. I love babies and I do well with calming them down and putting them to sleep, but I have to be ready to hold the little one. So, Lil, thank you very much for sharing that. That's uh, That must be difficult to share. And we had someone uh, send us a message on our Instagram saying that most men don't want to hold babies. And this is from Shalise, who says, most men do say no when they are brand new. I don't think men give themselves enough credit for how good they actually are. 
with infants. Now, uh, this actually happened, Hal, with our old friend Mike Grosvenor, who yes. used to be your producer, your yep. technical producer. When I went to his place to meet his boy Henry a few months back, uh, I walked in and they just said, here you go. And yeah. they, they made me take the baby and sit with him on my lap for 20 minutes, and I was yeah. terrified this kid was going to fall off my lap. Yeah. Uh, but everybody was saying, oh, look at how good you look with the baby, to which I just kept saying, shut yeah. up, shut up, it's shut probably up. Good, and it's probably good that I don't have kids, because I am a believer in the Eddie Murphy rule of fathering. Which is? He has five kids. He may have more now, but he had five kids and never changed a diaper. What? Which is crazy, eh? I know. But that that would probably, it's hmm. why it's probably a good thing I don't have I'm kids. I'm sure that's going over well. <laughs> well, I'm sure it outside. won't. I'm sure it won't, but <laughs> I kind of like the idea. Well, along those same lines, uh, five kids or more. I don't know how many Eddie Murphy has. I know it's a lot. Yeah. He was just on with Jerry Seinfeld on uh, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. Yes. And I went to his house, and his house is full of kids all yep. the time. He's got grandkids right. now. Yeah. One of our uh, listeners, Scott, he has a lot of good takes on stuff. He says, how about we ban the condom and the condom Rapper because they can't be recycled either. <laughs> Very good. Also, yes. here's a text from Denny. Uh, try this phrase as a refusal to babies. Oh, no, thanks. I had one earlier. I'm stuffed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when they give you the face, follow up with, just kidding. I love babies, but I could never finish a whole one. <laughs> and McGarry McNabb, hopefully back tomorrow. Feel better, McNabb. Get well, get well soon. We want you to get well. Somebody texted us saying McNabb McChoo, as in McChoo. <laughs> so, yeah. Hey, she was up at 2 a.m. checking to see how she was doing. Mm-hmm. That's when we got the email saying, sorry, right. guys, I got to stay home. So she is a warrior. She's a fighter. If Loren McNabb is staying home sick, it's bad. Yeah. And I, I don't know. What are we, Wednesday? Yeah. Tomorrow's Thursday. You know what? Just take the rest of the week off. See you Monday. Seriously. Just get better. Now, they, what are the odds of, that you think she heard that? Oh, th- that she heard it? Really well. Uh, I think the ho- odds, super high. The fact, and whether or not she's going to heed that advice, super, super infinitesimal, I would say. <laughs> okay, so what's going on with your pal and our pal, Doug Brown? Okay, so every so often, just when you think you know somebody... They reveal something about themselves that changes the way you see that person. Like this morning when I found out that Brett doesn't like to hold babies. Actually, I've known that for (laughs) quite some time. (laughs) I'm a monster. You are not a monster. If you're a football fan, you, of course, know who Doug Brown is, legendary Hall of Fame player, and now longtime member of the Blue Bomber broadcast team is Bob Irving's analyst or color commentator here on 680 CJOB. He also hosts the Blue Bomber podcast with yours truly, and the latest episode was recorded yesterday. Right near the end of our time, Doug told us he wouldn't be in the booth for the Blue Bombers' next game, which will be a playoff game, the CFL West semifinal. The reason is very special. I'm uh, very much involved in uh, a charitable uh, organization called Operation Walk. And what that is, my my day job when I'm not, you know, the the hard part of my day before I come and get to have fun with you, um, uh doing joint replacements. Basically the company I I work for, uh, donated a whole bunch of, uh, 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 knee replacement equipment. And, uh, a lot of the surgeons, there's six or seven uh, surgeons from Manitoba, uh, that 
fly down to Nicaragua every year and perform free joint replacements for people that otherwise have no access uh, to these kind of surgery. Uh, it's so it's prohibitively expensive um, down in that country. So they uh, you get people that come into this uh, hospital that that wait outside the hospital for I don't know x amount of time. Um, there's some people that haven't walked for years that walk out of the hospital, uh, two days or, or the next day after their operations. So I've been involved, uh, working with this charity for, for some time. And this is the first time uh, the company I work for has donated, uh, the implants and, uh, I, I'm taking the instrumentation down there and just making sure that, that the surgeons and the nursing staff and all the healthcare professionals that are there, they have everything they need from a supply and equipment uh, standpoint that they can do. They'll do between 70 and 80, uh, knee replacements down there completely free, uh, to these people. And, uh, it's literally an event. Uh, not only does it change their lives, but it changes your life being a part of it. So, uh, it's, it's tough timing, but I, I can't say, you know, this is a very important thing that they do. And, uh, this is the first opportunity I've had to, to contribute to this. So, I'm very, uh, very excited to uh, to see what I can do to uh, to help out. I typically want to hug you when I see you <laughs> most of the time, but now I just so many hugs. Now I just so really want to hug you, man. That, that is fantastic. Do you want to give a shout out? Do you want to mention some names here? Oh no, no, it's it's. I mean, uh, Operation Walk is. Uh, we do a gala dinner every year, and uh, the proceeds from that gala dinner. Uh, pretty much are what pays for this. So it's the generosity of the people in Winnipeg and in Manitoba that are essentially uh, paying for, you know, everything that isn't donated. Uh, I, I believe our company is donating like $175,000 worth of knee uh, implants, but there's a lot of stuff you have to pay for shipping, like getting all the equipment down there and everything like that. So the money we, uh, they raise at the Operation Walk uh, uh, Gala Dinner every year, uh, that is only because of the, uh, the goodwill and nature and the giving nature of everyone in, in Manitoba. So, uh, just, uh, being involved in that and, and, and knowing, you know, where the support and the funding comes from the base of where you live, it's really a tremendous event and, and the end results are, uh, really game changers for these people. See, he's just a big softy. After all, he's just a sweetheart. Doug Brown heading to Nicaragua, which means he will miss the Winnipeg Blue Bombers' first playoff game. I say that emphatically. Their first playoff game, the West semifinal, coming up a week this Sunday. We don't know where it will be. We just know that Bob and Ed Tate will take care of the broadcast duties. Operation Walk, by the way, uh, you can check out their website, operationwalk.ca, if you want to learn more about Doug's trip to Nicaragua and the incredible work that organization does. He must be torn up about the fact that while he's doing this special thing that he's going to miss that game. Yeah, and but at the very same time, I could see it in his eyes that there wasn't even a question yeah. about whether or not he would go on this trip and, and see the impact that it has. Things were so dangerous there last year that they couldn't go and do the trip. He was supposed to go last year and couldn't, so this is extra special for him. So, uh, Doug Brown, tip of the hat to you, tip of the hat to Operation Walk and everyone involved. There's several doctors here in Winnipeg going down to make uh, some absolute miracles uh, they say miracles are, are questioned. Uh, you know what? They, they come in all shapes, forms, and sizes, Brett McGarry. 
We've got a couple of minutes here before we bring you global news at 9 o'clock. I want to remind you to go to 680CJOB's Facebook page for your chance to win tickets for the Simon and Garfunkel story. Specifically, we're looking for your feedback on the question we were discussing earlier on whether or not it's rude to not want to hold someone's baby because this was a dilemma that I fa- feared I would face yesterday when I went to visit my friends and their newborn, Jacob. I don't like to hold babies. A, I'm scared I'm going to drop them. B, quite frankly, I'm more of a pets guy. You got a dog, I'll roll around on the floor with it. You got a cat, I'll let the cat sit in my lap even though I have allergies. Babies, not so much. But I am genuinely afraid to hurt a baby because I'm clumsy. You know what I mean? I, I realize your cell phone is not the same thing as a baby, but I drop my phone all the time. Would hate to drop someone's child. Well, here's a question or here's a comment from Jennifer who says, not rude. I don't like to hold babies either, except my own, but that's different. That is a common thing we're getting, by the way, just as a side note. We're getting a lot of that feedback today. And uh, I, I didn't realize how common that was. Like if it's my own baby, great. If it's not, Get it away from me. Anyway, Jennifer says, I'd rather just look. They are just as cute from a distance than from your arms. Plus, babies are always more comfortable in their parents' arms. What I always found rude as a mom was when people insisted on holding my baby when she was so cozy with me or sleeping. Then they wake, start squawking, and the person still won't give the baby back to me. Hmm. Yeah, you've got another issue then. You, you, You got friends that don't know boundaries. That's a whole other conversation. I also like that she used the word squawking. Squawking. Yeah, that's a that's an apt description. Oh, uh, yes, I could rattle off a list of words to parallel crying and screaming and yelling and hollering and hooping and yeah. Mackling and McGarry McNabb back tomorrow. We got another M though, Moncrief. J.H. Moncrief is our guest, and she's here to talk Halloween, and that's actually the subject of her question of the day. Sort of continued theme yesterday was about what are you going to give out for Halloween, and this morning, based on what we were talking about with Hal Anderson, we're asking you, question of the day, brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. Some people are calling for Halloween candy to be banned because the wrappers all go to the dump. Should it be banned? Yes, unhealthy for people and planet. Maybe. I've never thought about it. Absolutely not. Ridiculous. Those are your options at cjob.com. We'll put that poll up on Twitter as well. I think that idea should be banned. How's that? Yeah. I think it's I think it's ludicrous. But hey, you never know, right? I mean, we, we, this is why we talk about these things, to open up different conversations. And we are excited to open up a conversation with J.H. Moncrief because she is an author. She, her latest book, Those Who Came Before, is launching tonight at McNally Robinson at uh, 7 o'clock, is it, J.H.? 7 o'clock is right. Okay. So before we talk about your book, Those Who Came Before, <laughs> you said when you emailed us that you can also talk about Halloween traditions and we are wondering aloud in recent days where the jack-o'-lantern comes from, the carving pumpkins. What's the origin of that? Well, jack-o'-lanterns were actually lanterns made out of gourds, and they were used to celebrate All Hallows' Eve, which was a Celtic tradition, a pagan tradition. So basically it was a tribute to the saints. Hallow means saint. Uh, so it was a big celebration for the saints, and they would carve gourds into lanterns, and that's where jack-o'-lanterns came from. Later on, the idea of scaring evil spirits with jack-o'-lanterns came to be, and that's why we started putting scary faces on them. Why do they call, why do they call them jack-o'-lanterns? 
there was actually a guy <laughs> named Jack. Um, <laughs> hard to believe, but there was a man uh, that was ended up being, well, they thought he was an evil spirit, and they would put out these scary pumpkins to say, don't harm us, Jack of the Lantern. So that's where that came from. And of course, in different cultures, different parts of the world, they don't necessarily celebrate All Hallows' Eve. They, they do it the next day with the Day of the Dead, right? The Day of the Dead or... Um, there's another word for it, too. There's another name for it that'll come to me. All Saints Day, I believe. All, All Saints, Saints Day, Day sounds right. Yes. What so, about costumes? Costumes came, originally they were dressing up as saints, and they were going door to door. The children would want spirit cakes or soul cakes. That's where trick-or-treating came from. The costumes were dressing up like actual spirits or actual saints. And then over time, that started to dwindle down until we started dressing up as everything, especially when it came over to North America. That's where the soul cakes turned into candy. The costumes turned into sexy Dracula. <laughs> okay, last one. Where did the apples fit into this? Because we've been asking a question about Halloween apples, and it seems to be we had one text m messenger say, and I know this from living out west once upon a time, that when you say Halloween apples in Alberta or British Columbia, they look at you super weird because they've never heard it before. Not everyone in Manitoba has heard it here, but most people have. It seems to be a little bit of a regionalism. Do we know about Halloween apples? One of our listeners gave us their idea. I want to know yours. Yes, actually, I do know about this one, finally. I think you asked me last year, and I totally had no idea. Now I know it was part of the All Hallows' Eve celebration because that was a celebration of not only saints, but the end of the harvest. So, of course, the apple harvest. So they would bring the apples in, and they were given as offerings to the saints. So that's why we started with the apples, the Halloween apples, uh, All Hallows' Eve apples. Love it. One of our listeners says, Halloween apples, when I was young in the mid-50s, early 60s, we did yell Halloween apples. The majority of our treats actually were apples. Far fall harvest fruit, which ties into exactly what you were saying, Jage. And we had a lot of apple pies, crumbles, and sauce after Halloween. So the treats kind of came after they were made with the apples okay well, i don't uh, i don't know that i would be happy to get an apple on halloween but i'd, I'd personally rather have a kit kat but if that's the tradition <laughs> why not so jh moncrief is her name she is an author book launches tonight at Nally robinson at seven o'clock before we talk about the book i also need to ask you about this you were one of four authors chosen to spend the night at the dalnavert museum Right? Yes. Uh, because I, I talked about how I went there last year and it was creepy and there is one spot in the house that's purportedly haunted. Uh, this was on Friday the 13th, no less. So how did that go for you? Of course, I was the only one that had something spooky happen. It had to be me. But when we were going through all the rooms, one of the rooms we went through was Jack's, the son, and he died in that room. And I thought, that's where I want to write because if something's going to happen, it'll happen there. So I was sitting writing on the floor with my back against the wall near the closet, and I put my laptop down, went to look out the window, and when I was just about to the window, bam, the closet door like flew open into my laptop so loud that the other writers in different parts of the house heard it and thought I dropped my computer. That's how loud it was. I was just lucky my laptop was okay. Went and checked the closet, nothing in there. Uh, everyone came in. We kept trying to walk to the window to see if it would happen again. 
Nothing. Just just the one time. So it wasn't yeah. anything structural or no. uh, or anything uh, idiosyncratic with the house. It was just maybe it was Jack uh, speaking to you from the beyond. I always feel like uh, when we have these discussions with with Jage Moncrief that we have the lights out and we should have the flashlights shooting <laughs> up to our faces. So the new book is Those Who Came Before, and of course, all these things. Young people are always at the lake. When these right when when there's death and 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 murderous and 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 evil happening and uh, the photograph the artwork on the on the book is absolutely spectacular but tell us what's happening at Strong Lake. Well, it's basically a cursed campground, and of course, these young twenty-somethings just graduated from university. They have no clue about that campgrounds close for a season. They don't care. They break in, and they decide to spend a fun night, but. Uh, everyone except one is murdered during the night. And, of course, because of that, he becomes the number one suspect, and he has to help the detective prove uh, that he was innocent and also what happened to them. There's a lot of Indigenous uh, traditions, but also a lot of the history about what happened to a lot of Indigenous people at the hands of the settlers is worked into this. So while it's an entertaining mystery, thriller, horror, I also tried to educate people about some of the things that happened that they may not be aware of. And this is set in Minnesota. Minnesota. But you, you growing up in Manitoba, you have uh, obviously some some things that you're drawing on in terms of what you're putting in the in the historical aspects. I suspect. Yeah, I wasn't fortunate enough to grow up here. I grew up in uh, northern BC, but same idea. And my first job in Manitoba was as a journalist at an indigenous paper. Uh, so I certainly got to see a lot of stuff I wish I hadn't seen, although the people were tremendous. And uh, actually, Ian Ross, a uh, local playwright, his play, History of the Anishinaabe, really inspired me because it had some incredibly horrible stories that I wasn't aware of that are historically accurate and that kind of always stayed in my brain and percolated. So I used some of that history to add depth to the book. Oh, really? And so, and you consulted with Manitoba's Indigenous communities as well, right? To, to, did you do that directly because of the book you were writing or did, you, did just those previous consultations help you with your story? Previous consultations, but because this is set in the States, I actually had a Native American sensitivity reader, which is mostly what you need to do now to make sure that you're being sensitive and culturally accurate and not offending anyone. So the last thing I want to do is speak for any other culture or um, preach. or It's just a very entertaining story that happens to have this layer of history to it. That personally must be a tremendous gift to have that interaction. Let's put the book aside for a minute to to meet with someone on that level and to get into the stories and to to have a stamp of approval, of course, is obviously important, but it must be incredibly powerful interaction with somebody like that. It really was. In some ways, I think he was too easy on me. He was very, very kind. Uh, but when I used to work for the Indigenous paper, The First Perspective, I actually got to meet a shaman and he gave me my Indian name and we went through a smudging ceremony. and. A red sky dancer. Beautiful. And I was like, is that because of my hair? And he's like, you will find out in time. <laughs> <laughs> Have you found out in time? Not yet. <laughs> the book launches tonight. It's called Those Who Came Before. McNally Robinson, 7 o'clock. And before we let you go, uh, you have, I mean, we've talked to you about this before, traveling to and investigating some of the world's most haunted places. Have you been anywhere haunted outside of Dalnavert recently? 
Uh, not recently, but I'm planning an awesome trip to Scotland next April that will include Loch Ness and a Glen Cove, uh, where an entire clan was wiped out, can brutally murdered, and apparently that clan haunts the valley. So I'm excited about that. No kidding. <laughs> I mean, yes and no. <laughs> yeah. When when you say that, I'm excited about it. Do people look at you like, what is wrong with you? I think it's fascinating and good for you, but I'm sure a lot of people would think you're out, out of your mind. Occasionally, but it leads me to such great conversations, right? I get to meet you guys. Would I have met you if I hadn't been to Pavilia? Who knows? Know. Where's Pavilia again? Italy, off the coast of Venice. Is that the one with the creepy forest? No, that's uh, Hoi Bachu in Romania. Oh, yes. That's the, both, you, the most haunted forest in the world and then the most haunted island in the world. Wow. And it's led to you. How, how many books have you written now? This is the ninth published book. Wow. Good for you. Thank you. And you can get it tonight. McNally Robinson, 7 o'clock. J.H. Moncrief, Those Who Came Before is the name of the book. And I'll just read the opening synopsis here. A weekend camping trip is cut short when three friends are brutally murdered. As the only survivor, Reese is the prime suspect, and his story doesn't make sense. A disembodied voice warning him to leave the campground the night before. A strange blackened tree that gave him an electric shock when he cut it down. Find out more tonight at McNally Robinson. J.H. Moncrief, thank you very much for the visit. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K, WPG. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.